contested three-point shot straight on. Bledsoe three. Bam! Big-time basketball player here. Bledsoe driving again. Eric Bledsoe with 37. Get out of his way. this edition of Bucking the Trend podcast. I'm Andrew Goodman, joined as always with Dylan Piccolo. Dylan, how's it going? Andrew, it's doing pretty good. A uh, pretty melancholy road trip. Uh, hot in the beginning and kind of faltered at the end. Uh, yeah, I have a lot to discuss today. Yeah, and you know, I'm sure the Bucks are definitely happy to be back home, that's for sure, with their, first, their last extended road trip of the season done. Yeah, that was... It was kind of an interesting. I thought it, it was actually a lot more grueling than I actually intended it to be. Uh, you know, Sacramento game uh, goes into OT. That ends up to be a pretty long game and having to take a lot of energy. Then, you know, you go into L.A., whole nother scenario with that. Um, a lot of pressure, obviously, LeBron versus Giannis. Kind of a marquee game for the Bucks. Um, You know, it was Eric Bledsoe that night. And then two kind of you know, faltery games in Utah, which wasn't really a bad game, just kind of ended poorly, and Phoenix, which actually just was a bad game in general. You know, I want to go back to that uh, Utah game, the 115-111 loss. That honestly might have been one of the most entertaining basketball games I've seen all season, just from a fan perspective. You know, both these teams trading haymakers down the stretch. You know, it was really weird. The Bucks got up to that fast start. They built a big lead. Then Utah came back, and then the Bucks, you know, opened the third quarter a little bit with a run, and then they ended up building, I believe it was like 16, 17-point lead in the fourth quarter. And then Donovan Mitchell happens, you know, in the last eight minutes and ends up scoring 46 points for the game. Giannis was a beast, 43 points. But that might have been the best Bucks game of the season in a loss. It was. It was a very exciting game, and it was two teams that – just have like a lot of good guys uh, kind of up and down the roster. They don't necessarily, obviously Giannis is fantastic and Donovan Mitchell is fantastic, but they have a lot of really nice pieces um, throughout the roster. So it was a lot of good basketball out there and two teams that kind of have adopted that modern style. Um, So yeah, it was pretty fun game to watch, uh, but couldn't finish it out. I mean, a 42 point fourth quarter that you gave up kind of tough, although you held them to 20, uh, in the quarter previously, uh, 42 points in the fourth quarter is you're not going to win many games because a lot of games are close. Yeah, I mean, how about Derek Favors turning the clock back a little bit with 23 points and 18 rebounds on 10 to 12 shooting in 32 minutes? He was definitely the game changer for Utah. Obviously, Donovan Mitchell with 46 points. He was, you know, freaking huge in the fourth quarter, but they probably don't win that game with the production of Derek Favors when you consider the fact that Rudy Gobert in 20 minutes was terrible, two of nine from the floor. One of eight from the free throw line, and he finished minus 36. Do you know, like, how impressively bad that is to do? 
it's really hard to do. Um, but it's kind of impressive that, you know, their coach made that adjustment and said, all right, this is not your night. Cause Giannis was doing some pretty nasty things to him early in the game. And you could pretty easily quickly tell that that was not a matchup that was good for Rudy um, on that night. And like you said, I mean, on the other side of things, Derek favors plus minus was plus 29. So uh, only trailing Kyle Corver at a plus 30. Um, but Kyle Corver didn't put up from 83% from the field. And also, you know, I know he's not with the Bucks anymore, but in the brief stint that Isaiah Kanan was in the game, I wanted to, I wanted to, you know, gouge my eyeballs out. It was just horrible. Scoreless in 10 minutes, minus 14. And when you look at the bench as a whole for that game against Utah, that was definitely, you know, a big reason why the Bucks lost. Pat Connaughton, six points. Tony Snell, six points, minus 30. DJ Wilson, scoreless in 16 minutes. Christian Wood even got some uh, early action. He scored three points. I'm sure the Woodlands were happy about that one. I was. I'm, the, <laughs> I'm, I, I'm in the forefront of the Woodlands. Um, but, yeah, that bench, it was uh, a minus 77 from the bench. Uh, you're not really going to win many games when your bench is minus 77. It's pretty, it was pretty bad. Uh, you only got 15 points out of your bench. So, luckily, Giannis had a monster game, uh, 43 points. <laughs> Uh, 14 rebounds, eight assists. Um, one thing I want to touch on, just kind of that we saw over the um, road trip, and I, you know, we have over the season, but I especially saw it over the road trip. Giannis's passing skills are starting to get pretty special. Yeah, his ability to play make, you know, he's improved every season, but it's not just the fact that he's improving every season. It seems like every game he goes out there and, you know, he learns something new or shows a new trick out of his bag. Yeah, and specifically speaking, when he's in transition, although he does get quite a few charges still drawn on him in transition, probably more. I'd say he. I'm not 100. I haven't looked at the stat. I don't even know how to look it up. But I'd assume he's near the tops of people getting charged, um, drawing charges on him. But he's been getting really good at passing it, and I feel like you know he has more options around him in terms of Miritich, you know, obviously Lopez. Uh, I mean, Pat Connaughton's really the only guy who's kind of questionable um, from three right now, and it's kind of funny because that's what he was brought in to do. But, you know, it, with all those things go into it, and I think he's just more comfortable in this system, um, you know, not necessarily the primary ball handler, but having it in situations where he can go downhill and either either the defenders have to make a decision and double or, um, you know, or simply they don't have time and the defenders backing off and just can't elevate to the point where Giannis can and Giannis can do some pretty tragic things like as he does to Ruby Gobert. He's, um, you know Giannis dunks with the left hand a lot? Yeah, you know what? On that dunk he had on Gobert, I think he went up with the right and then ended up finishing with the left. He like changed hands midair and then still yammed on him. It's like Jordan. See, Jordan only did a layup, right? So, well, was Gobert crying after that, or <laughs> he might have been? I didn't. I may have saw like, or it might have been the crying Jordan face the... tattooed over. <laughs> well, like you said, Giannis um, just does a great job at finding the open man or finding the open shooter, specifically in the corners. He just is so good at making these passes that honestly, sometimes even some of the Buck shooters, you know, they catch the ball. And they're like, "Holy, holy crap! How the heck did he get this to me?" You know. Absolutely. Um, so there's one thing that I do want to touch on, and I think it's been 
well documented on Buck's Twitter if people have been paying attention, which I'm sure they have. And it's about Chris Middleton. And I hate this talk because we have it once a month, would you say? Once a month, but we could do this every day if we really wanted to. Honestly, it's just, you know, Chris Middleton, he can go out and save 10 puppies from a burning house. And, you know, Bucks fans would still find something to complain about, you know, like, oh, he didn't put out the fire, though, did he? You know, it's just it's in a no win situation when it comes to Chris Middleton. I mean, let's just let's just put this into perspective here. He has scored less than 10 points only two times this entire season. So what you're looking at with an all-star and Chris Middleton, I think isn't, well, he was an all-star this year, but those guys can have those games. And especially with a team like the bucks, it's almost expected that one of everyone except for Giannis is going to have a game like this sooner than later. Even Giannis has them, but his aren't necessarily expected because with the amount of weapons that are on this team and the different ways that coaches have to scheme up playing against different opponents, there's, there's going to be a bad game. And for Chris Middleton only have two of them. That's pretty fantastic. I mean, I, 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 I got to look it up with Giannis. So I'll look it up while you're talking how many points under 10, 10 points he had. I think it's maybe one or two. Maybe I know against Miami, maybe he had nine or something. I, was it against Indiana too? No, I think yeah. he had oh, yeah, like eleven or something like that. But regardless, anyways, it's gonna happen. But for what Chris Middleton gives you and what he's pretty much sacrificed for this team to be successful in terms of shots, um, and necessarily he hasn't sacrificed because he's getting easier shots. Um, but you kind of get what I'm getting at. I mean, Chris Middleton's doing everything that he needs to do. No, I think I think that's a great point you bring up. You know, if you look at his uh, shot profile from last season, this is a guy that you know basically lived in the mid range. That's where he would flourish. And like you said, he had to sac. I think he had to sacrifice the most out of anyone on this Bucks team in terms of play style. You know, getting rid of all that mid range. They're starting to work him back into his comfort spots a little. But he's definitely not the same player offensively that he was last season. And you know, anytime you're going away from your bread and butter, it's going to take some time to adjust. So, you know, even during this adjustment period, Middleton is still playing very well on both ends of the floor. And I actually think his playmaking is something that we need to talk about, too. I think he's really elevated his game as a passer. You know, his, there are nights where his shots aren't there, but, you know, he's still contributing across the board with assists, rebounds, and solid defense. Even when he's not having a good game, he was going to go give you above-average defense. Especially in the Phoenix game, um, I saw the Bucks trying – a little bit too much to make that extra pass. Were you getting a sense of that when you were there? Cause Andrew was live covering the game. Um, did you get a sense of that? Because I saw a lot of turnovers. Um, you know, I feel like the bucks are a little bit more physically imposing than the Suns, And I thought, think they kind of left a little um, to want in that category. Yeah. They definitely left some points on the board, 14 turnovers, only 17 assists. That definitely right there is not going to get it done for this bucks team. But yeah, there were a lot of times, Bucks Bigs would be swinging it around. Pau Gasol had a few open looks at a three that he ended up passing up and ended in a cho- turnover. Brooke Lopez as well had some good looks but ended up passing out of it. So, you know, once you get too pass happy, you start to drain the shot clock a little bit. Then that's when things get hectic and you start turning the ball over a bit more. 
Yeah, I just I thought that was kind of one of the overarching themes in the Phoenix game with the turnovers kind of I don't know, it was just really sloppy. Uh yeah, it was anytime anytime you're too you're too selfish, you know, that's a bad thing. You know, moving moving the ball around is great, but if there's you're passing up an open look, that's selfish. You know, you know what I'm getting at? Yeah, it makes sense. I think when you start to look at this Bucks team and the culture that has been instilled by Mike Budenholzer, it's the Spurs offense. So you look at Spurs film from, uh, you know, the Duncan era, and you're kind of seeing similar, similar things. Truthfully, Tim Duncan is kind of similar to Giannis in a sense, you know, not really an outside shooter developed a really nice, you know, mid-range game as it went on but the offense was kind of run through Tim and you're seeing that correlation a little bit uh with um the Bucks so are the Bucks there yet where they have it down where all right maybe we're passing it a little too much and we just got to be aggressive and got to go get his I think that comes with experience so maybe this isn't something to you know be concerned about by any means because you know it only this is the first time that it happened really um, this season that I can remember standing out this much, but that's something to consider. Right. And also a big theme that I saw during that 114, 105 lost in the road trip in Phoenix. It just looked like a tired legs out there. That was three games and four nights for the bucks. Always the last game of the road trip. For some reason, that is always going to be a pain in the ass, no matter who you're playing. And, you know, let's be honest, the Suns played great. in the first time they beat the bucks in Milwaukee and the Suns did a fantastic done even better job than the first time at defending the Bucks, but for me again what really stood out is the tired legs 12 of 42 from deep Miritich 3 of 10 from deep a lot of his threes were wide open Brooke Lopez hit a couple early but ended up 3 of 11 from the field you know like we talked about earlier Chris Middleton was only 1 of 13 but you know your best players that night were Ursan Ilyasova in 16 minutes with 11 points and Malcolm Brogdon 19 on 7 of 12 shooting so you know, it was just one of those – it's just one of those games, really. And I remember post-game, Mike Budenholzer, before anyone asked any questions, you know, he tipped his cap to the Phoenix Suns, said they earned it, they played a lot harder. And Malcolm Brogdon as well in the locker room. You know, the players, they didn't sound dejected at all about the loss, you know, and like some fans were thinking that the world is coming to an end because you lose to the Suns. You know, Malcolm Brogdon talked about, you know, you got to own it. No matter who you're playing, you know, you got to get up for the game. And he said that they just didn't take the Suns serious enough and they essentially got what they deserve. So I think that accountability from both coach and players shows a sign of a mature basketball team. And I like that. Yes, I think it's very important. And this is the first time that they've, uh, you know, both lost back-to-back games um, and lost the same team twice. No one, first of all, no one thought they would have this at, this point of the season and if you would have told me this phoenix suns were to be the team to break it then by all means you go buy a lottery ticket right after that um but let's talk i wanted to talk about malcolm brogdon for a second because i think people are starting to give malcolm brogdon a little credit um outside of the bucks community obviously bucks twitter and everyone who covers the bucks knows malcolm brogdon's abilities and everything but what do you what have you seen kind of from Malcolm Brogdon since from last year to this year? Because I think there's been a just a huge jump in not only his confidence, but I think he's just gotten a be- a better basketball player. 
And that was a big prob- big knock on him coming out of college, a four-year guy. Has he reached his ceiling? He's really improved his game this season, and it's showing. No, I agree with you. And while you look at the numbers, they might look a little similar to last season, but the complete 180 in, like, demeanor, you know, how he carries himself going game in and game out. And he's really evolved into a go-to guy down the stretch for the Bucks. We saw it a bit last year. But now it's taken over a whole new realm this season where the Bucks will drop plays specifically for Malcolm down the stretch. You know, it's been an overarching thing this season. The Bucks need a big bucket. They're going to go to Malcolm Brogdon. We've seen that in a handful of games this season. And, and he does it on both ends of the floor. <laughs> no, absolutely. And he, he plays like a veteran. You know, he's only been in the league for a few seasons. But, you know, if it's your first time watching him, you know, you might guess that he's a veteran. I just love the way he plays the game and how he carries himself on and off the floor. And it's another, uh, you know, tip in the cap to the Bucks front office for taking a guy like this and seeing the the transition um, that you could make uh, with NBA ready skills right away. So it was excellent foresight on the Malcolm Bragdon decision in the second round. Um, so I want to talk next about um, the Lakers game. I know we're kind of jumping around and going in reverse order, but I'm kind of going by importance, I would say, or fun to watch or like, or maybe not because the Suns game wasn't very fun. But when we played against the Lakers, we saw Eric Bledsoe make his money, prove he's worth the money and some that night. Oh, to say the least, you know, I thought it was, quite ironic that the rumor that Bledsoe's agreeing to this extension before the game, and then he goes out and drops 31 points, nine rebounds, five assists on 12, 24 shooting in 31 minutes. It's kind of like, it was so fitting, you know, the night the news breaks about your supposed contract success and you just go out and ball out. And that was a game where Giannis was not Giannis at all. He just did not look right out there. No, he didn't really look right. Um, and that's kind of, ha- that kind of happened, uh, against the Lakers and the Suns. Um, so teams are definitely trying to figure out a ways to slow down Giannis. And, um, you know, it's happening. Uh, so it's up to the guys from the outside to hit those shots uh, when he's not, when they're kind of slowing him down. But back to Bledsoe, it was really impressive. It was really impressive, especially, you know, uh, a client at LeBron James Sport Agency going out there uh after you signed the big deal, because people were saying maybe Eric Bledsoe's a candidate to go to LA with LeBron. There's a possible fit there. Nope. He signs with Milwaukee says he loves Milwaukee after it, you know, just endorses the city. And it's a real Testament to what the bucks have built um, as a whole. And then you further that with Pau Gasol, which we haven't had a podcast since Pau Gasol got signed. Um, it's another testament to how this organization has just grown and how, you know, players around the NBA are saying Milwaukee's not that bad. We want to win because that's what it comes down to. People make money out to be a huge thing and it is, but they want to win. And if they want to win, they're going to start coming to Milwaukee. If this culture continues, you know, if you would have told me this, let's say two years ago, I would have called you a crazy MF or to even say that, you know, championship veterans were even considering coming to Milwaukee to end their career. It's, it's great. It speaks a lot, like you said, about what this franchise has done and how it really shows how the front office and the players and everyone as a whole is really connected, tight-knit group. You know, back to Bledsoe just for a second, just his overall attitude of, you know, in the locker room and 
you know, kind of how he identifies himself as the vet, kind of like a rock in the locker room. You know, we didn't see that much from Bledsoe last season where he was so outspoken about, you know, how he loves the team, how he feels great, and how he feels like it's a family in Milwaukee. And that's what he, I mean, he said he doesn't want to be here in Phoenix, you know, <laughs> what was it, a little over a year later, and it's a completely different narrative for uh, Eric Bledsoe in Milwaukee, who's actually averaging less points than he did last year, also averaging less minutes, which is, he's probably really happy about still making the same amount of money, but uh, playing less minutes on a better uh, team as well. Um, and, you know, Bledsoe has that ability, like Brogdon, we mentioned earlier, to take over in the fourth. Uh, he did it against Sacramento, too. Eric Bledsoe, because he had a triple-double against, wait, he had a triple-double against L.A.? No, it wasn't uh, against L.A., it was against Sacramento. Yeah, he had a triple-double against Sacramento, and then he went off against L.A. Yes. Um, gosh, those games were so late. It was just like I was just like the twilight zone at that point. So excuse me if I'm mixing them up. Um, but he was he was fantastic uh, against Sacramento and L.A., both being a facilitator and doing it on by himself. But what really gets me juiced about Bledsoe is that he does it on the defensive end. He does, he does it on both ends, but specifically the defensive end of the floor, you've got to consider him for at least first-team null defense. I mean, the way he's played defense this season has just been, you know, elite. You could almost put Malcolm Brogdon as first-team all defense. because, And that's great because when Bledsoe goes out, Brogdon can step in and equally or even more so shut down a defender with because of his length. I mean, when you move him over to that point guard spot, he can really like corral a, a, a pretty athletic guy. And we've seen it many times. They're both team team muscles is what we'll call it. Yeah, no question about that. Um, So let's take a little look at uh, what we have moving forward for Milwaukee um they play the Pacers coming up which isn't necessarily the same Pacers team uh despite their remarkable success over the last month or since Victor Oladipo has been out Nate McMillan's definitely gonna get some consideration for coach of the year I think um and then on Saturday they go against Charlotte and uh Sunday right after that back to back they head to uh San Antonio yeah, they ha- you know, it's strange. They have this long road trip. They come back, they have two games at home, and then they go on the road for a little road trip again. You know, like you mentioned, at San Antonio, then at New Orleans, and then at Miami. And then Miami. Yeah, their schedule, I don't want to say it's tough, but there's a lot of games in March. Yeah. In terms and... of like fatigue. No, absolutely. And I think I'm interested to see how Budenholzer is going to play it. Um, because you know, Giannis's knee soreness, take it for what that actually is, um, could be something that they're looking at, obviously knocking in with minutes, but you know, Toronto is two and a half games behind right now. Um, so getting, getting that number one seed is imperative. I think for the bucks, I think it's very important that they get that number one seed because I don't think the bucks would like to go to Toronto in a game seven in the Easter conference finals. If they came down to that. It's we talked about it earlier in a few other editions. It's really going to come down to the last week, last few games. There really is, which sucks, but you know, it's a close race. It's been a close race all season. So it's only fair that it comes down to the wire. Right. So on March 31st, they have the Hawks. 
they are they have a three game road trip Sunday, Monday, Thursday. So the first thirty uh, first and fourth March into April at Atlanta, at Brooklyn, at Seventy Sixers, and then they come back and they face the Brooklyn and Atlanta again, and then the last game of the season is against Oklahoma City, which. I hope Zach. I have tickets to that game, so I hope that's a really good one because uh, there could be some seating on the line for that one as well. Yeah, I hope for your for your purposes that you know the Bucks don't have the one seed locked up and they're not resting everyone, so oh. you have to go see a B league game. I'll have to. I'll have to. I'll have to weigh it out. Maybe I'll have to sell the tickets beforehand. You know, <laughs> like I got bamboozled earlier this season when I. Um, I tried to buy tickets for the Bucks Raptors. Mm-hmm. Well, I bought tickets for the Bucks Raptors that first time they played. Oh, um, it when Giannis oh, and awkward. Kawhi said it was really awkward. So <laughs> I'm like, well, because I'm in Whitewater, and you know that's an hour away mm-hmm. uh, from Milwaukee. For those who don't know, and I, I'm just like, all right, well, I think I'm just gonna rather eat forty bucks than than sell them. And I sold them for twenty bucks back, and I lost, I think, like forty bucks. So. It sucked, but I, I was—I I just wasn't ready to do that, make that commitment. Well, you know, the Bucks are also zero and two in games that I go to this season, so maybe I should really? just not go to Bucks games at all anymore. <laughs> I know I'm going to the—I'll I'll be credentialed for the game on the seventeenth against Seventy Sixers, and if they lose that one, then booking the trend might have to make some other arrangements yeah we might have to go on a hiatus or something like that <laughs> maybe just drop everything delete twitter instagram just it's over yeah absolutely um so of the remaining games of the season um what are your kind of favorite games to look out for definitely both matchups against philadelphia for sure for obvious reasons there also, the Houston game, Tuesday, March 26th, the home game against Houston. That'll be a big game for both teams. Probably a bigger game for Houston in terms of their playoff race in the West. That's going to be a great game. Also, the Clippers game, too. You know, Clippers, no one wants to talk about the Clippers, but Clippers have been playing great basketball the last few weeks, and they always play the Bucks pretty well. They're pretty tight, I should say. Yeah, no question about that. Uh, I definitely think those 76ers games are going to be – pretty interesting because we haven't played loud we we haven't played them uh you know with tobias harris yet so it'll be interesting to see how that matches up um in terms of depth with when you talk about philadelphia and milwaukee because you know i feel like a lot of people when i watch like especially the national things or listen to nba serious radio They'll, you know, they'll talk about Boston and Toronto and Milwaukee, but Philly's kind of almost forgotten. Uh, I feel like they're, they're they're a talented team. They have four. They probably they might have the best starting four in the whole conference. Like starting five in the whole conference, I think. No, but they do have the best. They do. Have the they best do. And, I agree with you. And I feel like people are just kind of writing them off because either Ben Simmons can't shoot, Joel Embiid is unhealthy, they don't have depth. But I mean, if you're really looking at it, I don't I don't know. I don't know what I see with them. It's a tough team to kind of forecast, I would say. Well, they're tough. You know, they have Jimmy Butler, but you know, like you said, this floor spacing is not gonna be there with Ben Simmons and Joe Embiid, I'll let him shoot threes all day, please. I encourage him to shoot I encourage him to shoot from the perimeter. The Rajon Rondo treatment. 
uh, yeah, they were giving Ben Simmons or they were giving Rajon Rondo the Ben Simmons treatment in the Lakers game <laughs> the other night. But when you look past their starting lineup, their depth, I like Mike Scott. I like him a lot, and Boban is good in spurts. But you know, you can't, you're not going to rely on TJ McConnell in a playoff series, right? No, but I do think that if I don't know how good of a coach that Brett Brown is, um, I'm not. I'm not a hundred percent sure on that, but. Truthfully, I think that they could definitely do something if they stick Boban in the paint. You know, you could that's a possible that's a way to shut down Giannis. Uh, I mean, not shut him down, but try to slow him down, sticking him kind of. They, I mean, it's definitely tough to implement defensive philosophies in the middle of the season after you've been doing something for so long. But you look at what the Bucks do with Brooke Lopez, they funnel everything into him. Um, and you know, Boban with his height and size is kind of the only guy that is really almost physically, uh, qualified to meet Giannis at the rim. So that you're right. That's a piece. It's, I was going to say that it's great that the Bucks have the luxury of doing that, but you know, you also have Brooke Lopez who's one of the best three point shooters in the league. Absolutely. So, you know, it's it's either going to be Joel Embiid or Boban, Amir Johnson, that's going to have to leave the paint and guard him. You can't leave Brooke Lopez open. So you have to no. take your poison. You either pack the paint, you know, shut down Giannis. Absolutely. Boban's a not... spurt guy. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly how I would put it. You're not going to let Brooke Lopez just stand alone in the playoffs from deep. That's just a and horrible I, idea. And I think, actually, the, the Bucks are trying to prevent what my philosophy was, essentially, by adding Gasol and Miritich. I mean – there's space in it, man. They're 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 gonna have all of their fives popping. They're gonna have all their fours popping. Their threes, their twos. Giannis is the role man. <laughs> Let's just get that under control. <laughs> he is the role man. I also think the 76ers they lost a lot when they traded Landry Shamit, who's now flourishing. God, they they don't. I don't think they really needed to trade him. I mean, maybe the. Maybe the the Clippers got a little, you know, <laughs> they're like, well, let's let's shoot our shot, right? You miss a hundred percent of the shots you never take. So the the seventy sixers bought in. Yeah, that's true, but you know, I'm not gonna complain that they're getting snake bitten by it. So no, you won't hear no. any complaints on my on my behalf. And if they're keeping LeBron out of the playoffs, I'm cool with that. The Clippers. Yeah, you know, I have been on record saying that I'm not the biggest Laker guy. So, you know, seeing their Twitter kind of melt down the last month or so is, you know, I grabbed my popcorn a few times, not going to lie. I just think that, I just think that would be refreshing just for one year. Obviously you want to see the best do it in LeBron is no question. Um, one of the best to do it, but there's so many exciting young teams in the Western conference that, haven't been able to have a chance uh and and that goes for the eastern conference as well so you know i'd much rather see the kings get in there and try to go against the warriors a team that they've had a lot of success against this season i mean they've lost to them i think it's by less than double digits if you combine all the point differentials uh you know i'd love to see you know um portland obviously they're going to be in it but you know damian lillard uh the clippers Shy Gilgis Alexander. Um, there's just a lot of teams I'd rather see than the Lakers because I don't think that they're going to be necessarily this team next year. Um, and I'm all about kind of the 
mid-major markets kind of having sustainable success. So that starts by making the playoffs. Yeah, they're also living off these hypotheticals of getting all these free agents. But, you know, that's, you know, I was born and raised in L.A. I've been dealing with that my whole life. So it's really nothing new. Part of me thinks that, that they're going to part of me thinks that teams are going to players are going to be like, I mean, obviously, LeBron has plenty of influence being owning an agency and all that stuff. But it would be just really sweet if everyone just was like, no, sorry, LeBron. We're not going to yeah, come. Thanks, We're not but gonna, no thanks. I'll pass. We're not going to come. Because it's like, I would be kind of upset. Like, this guy is, you know, he's monopolizing the league for so long. And, like, let's just think about, like, the Minnesota trade when they got Kevin Love. I mean, when you're Minnesota, you're obviously put in a predicament because you got to pay a guy, you're going to win a championship. But it's like, LeBron knows what he's sending you back. He, like, you know, if he really thought he could win a championship with Andrew Wiggins, they're not making that trade. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So you have to take that with a grain of salt. LeBron's not stupid. So you can't be like, all right, well, no, this is a pretty good package back. It's like, no, nah, it's probably not. <laughs> it's probably not really that great. So Yeah, especially with that's they do, what, with that's what they what did talk- in the offseason. Right. And then you talk about, like, what the Lakers are now, like, the package to the Pelicans. Like, I got Brandon Ingram's nice and stuff, but, like, how much closer does that get you to a championship? It doesn't. It doesn't. I mean, you make that trade and you get the number one pick, but the Pelicans aren't going to get the number one pick. But if that was your end be all and you got Zion Williamson, okay, maybe that's a one thing to do, but you're not. You're out there and I don't know. Like, I just think that this is way too much talk about the Lakers. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to be known as a Laker podcast from here on out. Right. A Laker roast podcast. You know what? I think an interesting podcast would be just like a roast session. Just call it the the roast NBA. And just, NBA edition. Yep. And just you can just air all your concerns out. I feel like the Twitter would have a lot less fights. Yeah, we should. You know, it's funny you said we should set up a little voicemail so people can vent their frustrations and we can talk about it on the show. That would actually be a pretty good idea. That's not bad. When you know what, everyone, we're just thinking of this right now as we're talking right now. It's pretty unbelievable. I think, you know, what I have to say is I wake up in the morning and I piss excellence. Uh, What can I say? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. All right. Did you have anything that you wanted to talk about? No, you know, we lost to the Suns twice, relaxed. It's not the end of the world. Really not. Uh, the players were not dejected at all. Coach Bud wasn't dejected. There really is no reason to panic over two straight losses. But, you know, I guess that's a good thing. You know, we've had this luxury of not losing two consecutive games all season. So I'd rather have that get out of the way now, you know, than perhaps in the postseason. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And we have a pretty uh, intense stretch coming up, like we had mentioned earlier, uh, in terms of scheduling, uh, you know, kind of not necessarily the best teams, but kind of quirky games heading forward. So it's really important that we take care of those games uh, and lock up that number one seed going into the playoffs because I would prefer not to have to win the game on the road. That would be nice. You speak for a lot of people when you say that. (laughs) Absolutely. I think any smart basketball fan would say that. Um, But, yes, anyways – we want to thank you for listening to Bucking the Trend podcast. Um, 
like we said, always check out our stuff on social media at Buck the Trend Pod. A lot of cool in-game content um, as well as um, our content um, that we'll be seeing from the games that we're going to be covering live coming up. So you can follow Andrew Goodman on Twitter at Andrew G underscore NBA. You can follow me on Twitter at DP double underscore hoops. I want to thank you very much for listening to this edition of Bucking the Trend podcast. Please check it out on your favorite platform we're on a bunch of platforms now andrew i don't know if you knew that we're making moves making these power moves one day at a time very big power move so love the support thank you very much and we'll talk to you very soon and go bucks